Something which has um, come up quite a few times during the course of this retreat um, and uh, comes up regularly in spiritual practice, spiritual authority, so forth, is um, how to uh, understand scriptures, how to, how to deal with um, teachings, insight, etc. Um, how do we know what is true? And uh, so I thought to speak a little bit this evening about proof, about uh, how do we prove something to be true, how how does something come to be proven. Um, I remember reading somewhere once that uh, the definition of proof is that uh, proof is a shrine in front of which mathematicians immolate themselves. The uh, the quest for certainty, for absolute understanding, absolute knowledge, is something that has been uh, very strong in our culture, particularly um, in the last few hundred years, uh, uh, there's um, so much of our thought and our style of, of life has been based around rationalism and um, logic and certainty. And um, this has given a whole tone to the thinking of our society, our whole, our whole attitude towards life. And this sense of being able to prove everything is is very strong. Like in the in the world of of, of mathematics, when you get into uh, the um, the the higher strata of it, everything is based around proving things, uh, proving theorems, proving this or that to be true or not true, and um, this. Uh, uh, quest for certainty and the feeling of, of when, you know, when we understand, when we have everything proven, then everything will be all right. This is something that uh, we're very strong. And uh, up until the uh, the turn of the century, really, people felt that uh, you know we're just kind of getting through things bit by bit, and soon we'll have the whole 
uh, material, uh, natural world understood and tied up. And uh, there was hope that uh, psychology was going to become a, a mathematical science. At um, Harvard University in the 1890s, they closed the uh, postgraduate department, uh, postgraduate section of the physics department, because they thought there was nothing else to understand. There were two slightly strange uh, things that they needed to figure out. One was radioactivity, and the other was um, why hot, uh, hot bodies emit light in the way that they do. And once they, they, they got those two little things figured out, then all uh, knowledge about the physical world will be complete. So they actually shut the, uh, the postgraduate department. Unfortunately, Albert Einstein came along few years later and blew the whole thing to pieces with uh, why it was that hot bodies emit quite the way they do and, and about radioactivity. But anyway, this kind of hubris that exists uh, within us is, is very strong, that the rational mind feels that it can, it can uh, get everything tied up, that we can establish absolute knowledge um, in uh, uh, in our thoughts. Uh, also around the, the turn of the century, uh, a couple of uh, mathematicians, of philosophers in, in England, uh, Bertrand Russell and Alfred North Whitehead, uh, set about um, trying to prove from, uh, from first principles all of the uh, the most important uh, theorems and aspects of, of mathematics that are starting out with the absolute basic um, no assumptions whatsoever they set out to prove every single uh, mathematical proposition and uh, they spent about 15 years doing this and they published I think 1913 this massive um, Meisterstück the Principia Mathematica, where they had, they'd managed to to prove uh, point by point, you know, in a minuscule with minuscule accuracy, every single um, basic theorem of of, uh, of mathematics, pure mathematics, and they had the whole thing tied up. Okay, now there's nothing more to be done here. This is it. We've got it. It's all fixed, we know. Um, and the reason why I um, talk about this is because a few years later another uh, person came along with an insight um, that uh, uh, I feel is uh, extremely important for, uh, the, uh, as a, for the philosophy of our, of our age. That, um, coming from the background of rationalism and logic, um, which our society worships and, and looks up to as its, uh, as its great idol, that um, this, uh, this man came up with, a, with a, an insight, a proof, that, um, uh, that turned the whole thing on its head. And um, for our, our age, for our time, a, um, 
an inroad into the realization that the absolute uh, cannot be established in terms of the relative is uh, is very important. This man's name was Kurt Gödel. I think he was a, a German or an Austrian. He was quite a young man. This was in 1931, I think. And he produced um, a proof whereby he showed that uh, any formal system, any kind of uh, statement, any full, any logical um, uh, form whatsoever, any system, any uh, created or conditioned idea or form, mathematical formula or, or anything whatsoever, has to be either incomplete or imperfect. It's a, uh, I won't go into the details of how I did this, it's one of the complicated and I can't do it anyway. But anyway, he, um, he came up with a very straightforward and ingenious uh, proof that um, you can't establish absolute certainty in relative terms. It's intrinsically impossible. It cannot be done. He pointed out it's, it's like a um, like a camera can take pictures of anything, anything in the world except for itself. But there's always something that has to be left out of the picture. You either have to to um, generalize things and leave things inaccurate, or there there's something left out. There's a piece missing. And he, and he proved that uh, no matter how hard you try and work it, no matter how tr you, you try and get around it, intrinsic in, in every single um, proposition, every single idea or proof, there is uh, this uh, s sense of incompleteness, this, uh, this uh, lack of absolute uh, certainty. And so, in a sense, this was a, 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 an insight into the first noble truth. This was a recognition of, of uh, dukkha in its uh, subtler sense. This was a, a way of taking from, a, from a, um, a very rationalist standpoint, very logical standpoint, proving the same insight that the Buddha had, that... Uh, anything whatsoever. By its very thinginess, by its very uh, independent existence, has uh, imperfection, or insubstantiality, or change, or um, unsatisfactoriness intrinsically uh, carried with it. It has to be there. There's no way around it. Now what this did was um, rather deflated poor Bertrand Russell. And uh, even though uh, Gödel, he was about 26 or so when he, he produced this, and even he didn't really trust the, the strength of his own insight, because when he published it, he published it as part one, being sure that people were going to come along and shoot holes in it and, and show him all the things that he'd missed out and not seen. But they didn't. 
there was nothing wrong with it. There was no part two. He had uh, uh, he had captured it just in one in one simple clear seeing, uh, clear act of, of understanding, and it still stands up today. It's still since then, it's uh, it's been unshaken, and it's proving to be more and more a significant uh, factor in understanding our own nature as conscious, uh, independent beings. It's having more and more of an effect on the the philosophical climate. Now the... um, The the Buddha used the uh, the term sankara dukkha to refer to this same kind of of imperfection, which is not uh, saying that there's you know something um, bad about the world of things and ideas, but he's just pointing out that by the very uh, nature of the independence or, or particular individuality of things. There is there is dukkha bound up with it. There is a subtle uh, sense of of lack or or uh, unclarity. There is not the vision of of wholeness. The um, a way to look at this and to uh, you know, understand it, uh, I find quite helpful, is um, thinking in terms of the uh, the uh, arising of the material and, and mental realities that we experience, um, not only from, say, the, uh, the, uh, the mental point of view, but also from <coughs> the, the material world and our understanding of it in the, from the, the scientific point of view, how um, just as you have uh, from uh, from the Buddhist point of view, you have nama rupa, mind and body arising from um, consciousness, or, or originally arising out of the um, the sacha dhamma, the fundamental nature of things, the basic uh, fundamental ultimate reality, which is the the. The, uh, the ground, the basis for all things. Like I was saying before, you can uh, call this uh, Satcha Dhamma in, uh, in scientific terms, you can call it the, the um, a sea of potential, that, um, that uh, vacuum out of which, which, uh, which is the basis of all physical reality or mental reality out of which all things emerge. 
you can see that um, Nama Rupa, the body and the mind, the physical reality, the arising of of our the atoms, molecules, protons, neutrons, electrons, and everything that form our material world, and the consciousness that uh, arise also they arise from the same place. They arise from that same basic uh, fundamental reality, and that uh, just as our we have a a um, A body and a, a mind that we experience as being the uh, the location of our of our experience. Then um, one can see that this has its origins in the same place. This it, this too arises from that same dhamma. These are two aspects of the same fundamental reality that, that spring forth into being, that, uh, that well up, that rise up, and um, that the, uh, the aspects of, of that reality, just as um, there is uh, molecules, atoms, particles, and the relationships between them, then these relate very much in the same way as our body and our mind do, that the uh, the uh, particles and the forces between them, atoms and molecules and the forces between them, exist uh, in very much the same way as, as we as individual people and the relationships between us, the forces between us, that the, uh, the wave-like and particle-like nature of matter is mirrored in the, the material and mental aspects of, of our own life, that the nama-rupa uh, is mirrored, is a kind of expanded version of the um, wave and particle like nature of, of matter at its, of, of reality at its most basic level. So one can see springing out of, of um, the ground, the, this basic sea of potential, this uh, ground of being, all thoughts, our, our physical being, our mental, our mental world, our thoughts and feelings, these spring forth and then return to that same sea, they go back to that, that same sea. That, uh, as uh, the Buddhist said, the, uh, all conditions arise from the unconditioned, they return to the unconditioned, merge in the deathless. And uh, this is, uh, in a sense, a pattern for our whole experience of existence. We see uh, that the unconditioned in itself is, is uninteresting. It's, uh, it, the uh, analogy that uh, Lung Por often uses is like the unconditioned, the mind ground is like space, like the space of this room. It doesn't catch our attention. The bodies, uh, the pictures, the, the, uh, the light, the colors in this room catch our attention. That's what we notice. And the space, we don't notice. So 
So in that sense, uh, the unconditioned is not interesting. It has no features, has, it has no characteristics. When the mind opens to it, then it's, uh, it's, uh, its nature becomes more, more uh, vivid and understood, more real. But, say, at, at first glance, it seems there's nothing there, there's no feature. The attention doesn't grab it, it doesn't catch it. But uh, in order for that, uh, that, uh, that potential, that, um, uh, that is there, that can only realize itself, that can only know itself through the fluctuations or, or uh, through the excitations that occur within it. So this is like our thoughts, our uh, reflective consciousness that, uh, that arise out of the unconditioned. These are the things that are, that are interesting, that are um, the creative uh, knowing aspects of of our mental world, that these, uh, these arise, these come into being, and they are, they're interesting, they're creative, but they, they purchase that, um, that reality, that substance, at the cost of separation from the, the ground of being, from the, uh, from the unconditioned. So this is where uh, the experience of, of dukkha or alienation of imperfection arises that uh, trying to, to know or to understand the, uh, the unconditioned in terms of the conditioned will always bring us uh, a sense of lack, a sense of incompleteness. So in spiritual terms, this is what we, we talk about, the arising of sankhara. Sankhara, and that uh, bringing forth the whole uh, material, mental world, and the attendant dukkha that arises within it. But then when that, uh, when that is seen with, with knowledge, with vision, when the mind is, is awake, when it's understood, then uh, this is the, um, the ending of dukkha, the ending of separation. We understand clearly the origin and, and nature of things. So in, in, uh, in the same way, this is uh, what is represented by the, the fall, like the, um, in the biblical sense, that separation, which is the, the source of, of all, of knowledge, of, uh, of creativity, that is, um, that is bought at the price of leaving the, the total fusion and uh, wholeness of, of the unconditioned, of, of life in Eden. And our journey through life, our our evolution as, uh, as human beings, as, 
as sentient beings is an evolution through this uh, sense of separation to the quality of, of knowledge becoming clarified, becoming full, where we, uh, we realize uh, the true nature of things. We find our way back to Eden, back to uh, the peace of the original mind, of the mind ground that was always there but we felt uh, we'd lost it only because our eyes were closed, the vision was absent, we didn't, we didn't see it. It's like becoming so enraptured with all of the, the objects in this room or so worried about all of the people and liking this one and not liking that one, being caught up in the web of relationships that we, uh, we feel there's no space in this place, I need more space. I need more space. It's just things and people and activity and the place is full of space. There's nothing but space. But we just, uh, we fail to see it. The unconditioned, the, uh, the bliss of the, uh, of the mind's own nature is always here, right in our own hearts. It's always right here behind every thought, behind every sound, inside every color, every feeling, every mood. If we, uh, if we penetrate to the heart of it, that same uh, purity, radiance, peacefulness is right there. If only we take the trouble to look for it. So this is, uh, in a sense, pointing to the fact that, that to, uh, to deal with the, with the fall, to deal with, with suffering, to deal with the inability that we have to establish uh, certainty and completeness, wholeness, on the, the sensory level, in the, on what we think, what we do, what we have. What we, what we get. We solve this through uh, being awake, through the, the true understanding, the true penetration of the, the sensory world by the complete uh, relinquishing of any illusion that, uh, that wholeness, that, that understanding can come from uh, from the particular, from thought, from, from words, from achievements, possessions. And that uh, it's only through the true awakening in our own hearts to the, uh, the fundamental nature of mind which is, not a ni- which is not a nice idea, but an actual transmutation of, of uh, our life right here in our own hearts. That we can, uh, we come to, to recognize absoluteness, we come to recognize certainty, 
we come to to uh, proof to completeness now in uh, in terms of uh, Dhamma and spiritual teachings we often talk a lot about non-dualism non-duality and this uh, this is because in our there's something in us which which knows that that wholeness is the right thing wholeness is is true that uh, that any kind of separation or division or or uh, fragmentation is somehow uh, a mistake an error there's something to see in our basic uh, gut level feelings that we know that this isn't right there's a there's a, a longing for for uh, completeness so this takes shape as as desire desire is a sense of uh, having something missing, and so we look to an object of desire to fill that gap. Longing for uh, for home, longing to go home, like uh, Ulysses, longing to to return to Ithaca, longing for home. That that uh, feeling driving him on and on through all the terrors and uh, trials of of a ten year journey, being pulled home, or any kind of desire that we experience. We feel there's something missing, and if I only just get that thing, if I just have that, if I only achieve this, or, or acquire that, or get to this place, then everything will be all right. We want to be whole. We don't want to be two. We want, we want to be one. So that actually, uh, becoming desire, tanha upadana bhava, desire, clinging, becoming. This, in, sen- in a sense, is comes from the same drive towards the realization of of, uh, of wholeness of the of the unconditioned. That uh, becoming, and that moment of becoming, that thrill of, at last I've got it. This is it. I have it. Now we, now we're here. That that thrill, is a is a, a reflection, is a an image that comes from, the the thrill of wholeness, the satisfaction of, of it's not two. Now there is one. But of course it's because it doesn't last that, uh, that we experience dukkha. And so that the, uh, the spiritual path is, is uh, always pointing to the place where you can really, com- where you can fi- you can really find completion, where you won't be disappointed, where that, that sense of wholeness and satisfaction won't be conditional, won't be temporary, won't be fragile. So that, you know, the, the Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths based on the letting go of, uh, of desire, that arriving at non-duality, 
He said, well, first of all, stop looking for it. Stop looking for wholeness in terms of, of uh, desire objects. That's the most obvious place. That uh, you know, this is where we really cause problems for ourselves. That uh, he could have said, uh, ignorance is the cause of suffering, but this is a bit too uh, too kind of subtle or, or too pervasive for most of our minds to grasp. And so, desire is the place where we can see it most easily, most readily. We can spot the problem beginning or the mistake happening. So he taught, you know, see desire. Notice desire, and don't follow it. Just let desire pass through the mind like a wave. Let it come through the mind. Let it dissolve back into the silence, into the unconditioned. Let desires end, relinquish, abandon them. He uses this great uh, sequence that Ajahn Sajita used to quote with uh, a tremendous relish. Uh, viveka viraga niroda vosaga, uh, which means uh, seclusion or, or um, separation, then uh, is uh, viveka. Viraga, detachment, niroda, cessation, vosaga, uh, surrender or abandonment. The, uh, the putting down, the leaving alone, desire, letting it... Uh, it's like putting, putting down something which was burning hot in your hand, putting it down, leaving it alone, walking away from it, not looking back. We let go of desire in this way. Sometimes desire can be... The, the problem with it is that we don't recognize that it's desire, often. It can seem to be very reasonable. And um, in the spiritual life, like we're, uh, we were talking about uh, effort today and the quality of virya, energy, uh, intention, putting one's mind onto the task and, and getting down to it. and. As Ajahn Kittisaro pointed out, you get the quality of virya or effort in just about every list of important qualities. It's, it's there, well, the four right efforts you've got, and that's, uh, virya is there in the, the five spiritual faculties, in the spiritual powers, it's there in the um, ten parameters, it's there in the factors of enlightenment, it's a kind of real hot uh, property, very... Uh, very sought-after item in the spiritual uh, spiritual greengrocers. So there's a lot of emphasis on making effort and, and using energy. Uh, but often uh, I find this particularly difficult myself, is that, that this so easily slips into desire to become that making effort, doing the right things, very easily overreaches itself and becomes a, a, uh, a yearning, uh, uh, a racing ahead, uh, a blind trying. 
Because what is particularly if you're engaged in spiritual practice, what you want to become is something that is got all the right credentials. You know, you want to become a good person. You want to become wise, compassionate, loving, unselfish, uh, so on and so on and so on. You know what you what you want. What you, what tends to be the object of desire is all very kind of wholesome and praiseworthy stuff. But that very trying can often be uh, that which which blocks the mind. I had a very um, revealing experience once uh, a year or so ago. Again, when I was on a retreat in the forest, these retreats in the forest seem to have particularly Know what the right word is? Colourful, colourful lessons we one learns in these intensive solitary retreats. Anyway, I'd been about two weeks on the retreat, and and it was getting my mind was was very uh, energised and, and concentrated. And I remember I came in to uh, to spend an all night sitting here in the house, and um, yeah, I was uh, very awake and uh, found myself without any, any great deal of trouble sitting up kind of bright and alert all night long and you know, the usual kind of um, array of uh, bodies around me not all of them in a state of alertness or kind of erect posture some were maybe absorbed into some kind of rap- ecstatic samadhi they were kind of reeling with uh, with uh, delight in the absorption in the absolute or <laughs> either that or um, been chopping logs and driving tractors all day long and just plain exhausted anyway I found myself you know, sitting there full of uh, energy and and uh, a mind concentrated and clear but all the time this this uh, this feeling of uh, of adjusting and pushing and, and shoving and just a little bit more of this and a little bit less of that and oh yes nearly there and oh, all right this this is it this we are we doing well here yes this is it this is this is what I like yes oh no no gone I slipped away oops okay what are I doing let's do it yes go back to what I was doing five minutes ago right okay bit more of this but all oh, right yes yes getting there nearly that's it steady steady right. And all night long, this was going on. So that overtly, you know, I was kind of looking a lot better than everybody else in the room. But there was this, uh, this uh, nagging uh, feeling of, of, um, uh, of discontent, restless becoming, going on all the time. And when the <laughs> night was over, um, and I was walking back to the hut in the forest because this was, this was the first time I'd been with the community for a couple of weeks, and I felt this real sense of uh, irritation and disappointment and and uh, and sadness that uh, you know somehow I was getting it all wrong. You know, I won't go into kind of great details, but anyway, I got back to the to the uh, little hut and lay down to to sleep in the same kind of mood. 
and um, and then uh, I fell asleep for about uh, half an hour, and then and then woke up. You know, my I was really energized, and my body was still really charged up with the night, and uh, so I had a, a just a very brief, deep sleep, and then woke up again. And, uh, and I was thinking, oh no, I can't even go to sleep. You know, this is this is really I can't meditate properly, and I can't can't even sleep. You know, this is really this is really unfair. And so I just shoved my duvet into the corner of the, the hut and just thought, I give up. And just kind of slumped in an undignified heap on my duvet, and and just um, dropped everything. Just like, I'm not going to imagine it's going to lie here in a lump. And the result of this was that my mind instantaneously went into this uh, absolutely clear, totally peaceful, um, balanced state. It's, uh, there's this, this realization of, at last, <laughs> when were you going to, uh, I was wondering when you were going to stop all that mucking about. I was getting exhausted there, and uh, I just uh, I just sat there, or half sat, half lay there, and it just experienced this this wonderful uh, transcendent peacefulness and clarity. There was just light, space, and and no sense of self whatsoever. It was uh, tremendously uh, liberating and wonderful experience. And uh, it was it was very very clear that um, all the way along the trying had been uh, had been obscuring the truth that uh, there had been that kind of uh, bashing away thrashing a- a- away in the mind trying to get something become something uh, even though what I wanted to become was was very reasonable it was I doing it. And doing it really, really hard that was creating all the problems. And then uh, the next afternoon, just by way of uh, uh, reiterating the, the predicament or what, uh, what had happened, I found myself sitting there in the, the doorway of the hut, as was my, uh, often, as I often did, with the door open. And there was this uh, this insect. I think it was a bee, and it was uh, it was bashing away on the glass, trying to get out. And uh, you know, it was uh, over and over again. It kept flying at the glass and bashing into it. And uh, and I began to look at this and poor thing. You know, let me help you. And I got a little card and kind of tried to. To get the card behind it, you know, like you do, and and sort of just to scoop it out through the through the window to rescue the poor thing and say, look, you know, what you got to do is just go this way. It's, it's no problem. It's you know, the, it's it's right there. You know, just gonna kind of let me help you. And then the more I tried to help it, the more frantic and and uh, it, and frustrated, and the harder it flapped its wings and bashed even harder against the glass. And uh, I kept saying, no, 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 it's all right. Don't. <laughs> Don't worry. Just just sit still, and I'll I'll let you uh, I'll help you to get out. And I began to notice a distinct similarity between my my own mind the previous night and this insect 
splashing away on the glass. That's when I thought, I'd better leave it alone. And in exactly the same way, once I stopped uh, trying to help it, then the, after a little while the, the little insect calmed down and uh, eventually got to the, to the edge of the, the window frame. And then just waiting for the right moment, just one uh, quick move and a little flick with a, a piece of card, and the insect <laughs> was away. And uh, I thought, uh, yeah, how wonderful. This is uh, exactly the kind of, uh, exactly what was happening the, the previous night. That there I was, kind of bashing away at the glass, kind of longing for the light. All I could see was, was the light and just kind of flying at it and just colliding with this sense of self. And uh, feeling frustration and then, and then uh, all it needed was uh, a moment of inconsequential calm, relaxation, just where everything was dropped. Then uh, with the slightest movement, <coughs> hardly anything at all, and there was freedom. Now when we talk about um, the sense of self, uh, when uh, we, um, we speak in this way, and uh, wholeness or, or suchness, the sense of self, what we say, the sankhara, the arising of sankhara, is uh, the basic division between uh, self and other, subject and object, the sense of I and the world, or me and it. And so the sense of, of self is uh, the, uh, the most basic illusion. So even when, if one um, is breaking the chain of, uh, of Paticca Samuppada at desire, there's still the, uh, the, the uh, unconscious creation of the sense of I and the world, or, or even I seeing the truth. In uh, one of his teachings, the Buddha uh, points out how even if uh, some person who is uh, meditating and who has developed a lot of insight and peacefulness, they arrive at a, a, a blissful state of mind where there's clarity and, and knowledge. And then the thought arises in them, I am at peace, I am without clinging. I have attained Nibbāna. Then that very thought proclaims the clinging which is still there. Like, even if it's just a sense of I seeing the truth. Then that's a, a subtle sense of division. There's still Sankhara there, subtly being created and, and uh, creating the feeling of, 
of imperfection. And so our goal uh, is to break through even that, to be able to take, uh, to go right back to the root, to go right back to the source, and to, uh, to break through even that sense of there being an observer, but just to let the mind dissolve in the ground of its own being. So there's no, there's no sense of, of me seeing the truth. An observer and an, and an observed. There's only peacefulness, clarity. And the sense of of, uh, of wholeness, having at last been complete, knowing completeness, knowing fullness, no shadow of uh, imperfection of any sort at all. thoughts for you to consider this evening. Mm-hmm.